Well, I invite you to turn to the book of Genesis. Chapter 4, after a few weeks' break, I see a straight path from Genesis 4.1 to, I think, chapter 11, verse 9, between now and July 3rd. Of course, you never know what other plans the Lord may have for us, but that's, that's my intent uh, to, to preach uh, up until chapter 11 there. Well, I guess I wasn't on. So, Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. Holy Scripture says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden." This is the Word of God, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your life-giving Word that directs our steps, guides us into fellowship with You, and warns us from the pitfalls. And Father, I pray that You would take this Word and drive it deep into our hearts and minds and lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before we walk through this passage, I just want to shine the spotlight on the fundamental issue in this 
passage and the fundamental issue in your life. And that is whether or not God looks favorably upon you. God might look favorably upon you or He might not. You might be under the grace of God or you might be under His wrath. You might be at peace with God or you might be at enmity with God. And the fact that you come and bring an offering or attempt to worship the Lord God Almighty doesn't mean that He looks favorably upon you. Because there were two, there are two worshipers of the Lord in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Both Abel and Cain brought offerings to the Lord, and yet only one was found acceptable. So keep that in mind. That is the issue. The, 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 the entirety of your life and the entirety of your eternity turns on the fulcrum of whether God looks favorably upon you or not. That's the question. Well, we meet Cain and Abel in verses 1 and 2. The plan from the very beginning was for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with children. Although Adam and Eve had plunged into deception and, and, and disobedience in Genesis chapter 3, nevertheless, the Lord, the Lord mingled mercy with His justice and He indicated to Eve that she would still bring forth children. And so in due course, children were born. The, first the firstborn son was named Cain. The Hebrew word Cain sounds like the phrase to get or to acquire. So you can see the play on words. Cain sounds like I have gotten, as in I have gotten a man with or from the Lord. So Cain is the acquired one who, like all children, is a gift given from God to the father and mother. Then a second son came forth whose name was Abel. And after their birth announcements, the Bible fast forwards to announcements concerning their respective careers. Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Both men had honorable occupations. God had created Adam to work the ground, as we learned in chapter 2, and Cain followed in his father's footsteps. Abel's keeping of sheep is entirely consistent with mankind's calling to have dominion over the beasts of the earth that we learned about in Genesis chapter 1. So think about this. As, as this passage is getting ready to tell us something really important, and crucial about how Cain and Abel parted ways. They grew up in the same home. I had the same parents. Same environment. No 
pagan influences coming at them from the outside because at this point, they were the only family on the face of the earth. Both men chose worthwhile occupations, and yet the younger embraced the way of the righteous, and the older embraced the way of the wicked. Some of you have known the pain of one or more of your children going full steam ahead down the wrong path that leads to ruin. And that problem, that experience, is as old as the first family experienced in Genesis chapter 4. Both Cain and Abel, moving to verses 3 to 5 now, both Cain and Abel presented offerings to the Lord, but only one was accepted. The great issue in life is the health or unhealth of your relationship with the Lord. Since Cain and Abel grew up in the same home, they would have shared many cultural and fraternal similarities. And since Cain and Abel were different individuals, there would have been many personality differences between them. But all of these similarities and all of these differences are relatively unimportant in comparison to the main issue of life. Only one thing really matters. Where do you stand with God? Verses 3 to 5 bring this all-important issue to our attention. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Before we even get to the question of why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's offering was not accepted, I think that we should take note of something really important here. It is possible to bring an offering to the Lord and for the Lord to reject it. It is possible to be a worshiper who is consciously attempting to worship the Lord and yet the Lord has no regard for you. As far as the Lord is concerned, it is possible that you and your worship stink to high heaven. You have to understand that that's a possibility. And it's really important to say this because we live in a highly relativistic, hyper-tolerant, overly sentimental, don't judge anyone kind of world. I mean, just, 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 just think about how lame it would be to tell an angry and downcast Cain, cheer up, man. God accepts you just the way you are. Really? I mean, the fact of the matter is that God didn't accept Cain. God's favor did not rest on Cain. Cain attempted to worship the Lord, and the Lord was not pleased. And Cain is hardly unique in this experience. It says in the prophet Isaiah that, that Isaiah chapter 1, the Israelites were bringing their sacrifices and their offerings and their prayers to the Lord. And the Lord was fed up with it. Jesus told the Pharisees and scribes that their attempt to worship God was an exercise in futility, in 
vain do they worship me, Mark 7, 7. So don't be fooled. The Bible is clear that God is not pleased with just any attempt that people might make to worship him. Cain did not have God's favor, and Cain knew it. The combination of God's pleasure in Abel, but God's stiff arm toward Cain had the effect of making Cain very angry, and his face fell. Now, it's natural to ask the question, what was wrong with Cain's offering? It's difficult to give a definite answer to this question because the passage doesn't go into detail. Some people suggest that Abel's offering was accepted because his offering involved blood sacrifice. And it's only through the blood of a sacrificial offering that sinners can be forgiven and accepted by the Holy One. By contrast, Cain's offering was from the fruit of the ground. Now this is a sensible suggestion, but it's important to emphasize that the text itself doesn't spell it out. On the face of it, Abel keeps sheep, and so he's in a position to give sacrifice, offer a sheep, whereas Cain works the ground, and so he's in a position to offer the fruit of the ground, and each, each brother is attempting to worship the Lord with the resources available to him, which seems reasonable enough. Although it is certainly true that sinners can only be reconciled to God through the sacrifice of God's firstborn spotless lamb whose sacrifice was foreshadowed in the sacrificial system of the old covenant. That's very true. That's very true. But we don't know how much God had revealed to Cain and Abel at this particular early stage in history. Another possible explanation for the acceptability of Abel's offering and the deficiency of Cain's offering is that verse 4 specifically says that Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, which emphasize that Abel gave the best of what he had to the Lord. The firstborn, their fat portions, the first and the best. By contrast, Cain simply offered the fruit of the ground. Did Cain offer the first fruits? Did Cain offer the best produce? We don't know. There may be something to either or both of these possible explanations, but we have to respect the fact that God doesn't call attention to the specific deficiency in Cain's offering. What is clear, though, is that we must worship God on his terms. We must draw near to him in the way that he has appointed. We must bring our offerings to him in accordance with his instruction, in accordance with his word. It is safe to assume that God had revealed enough teaching to Adam and Eve and to Cain and Abel in order to enable them to worship him in a way that pleased him. Now, as we go further into the Bible, we learn that God's Word really does tell us about acceptable worship. There, there are certain things to do in worship and certain things not to do. There are proper offerings and improper offerings. There are right sacrifices and wrong sacrifices. Acceptable worship and unacceptable worship. When Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron the priest, 
offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them, they were judged on the spot and put to death. Don't be so foolish as to worship God on your own terms. Once God reveals the proper way to worship him, then the question becomes, how are you going to respond to his revelation? Are you going to worship God on his terms, or are you going to insist on worshiping him the way that you want to? the way that makes sense to you. And this gets to the heart of the matter. If you were to ask me, what was wrong with Cain's offering? Here's my first answer to that question. Cain. Cain is what was wrong with Cain's offering. Cain's heart is what was fundamentally wrong with Cain's offering. The text is careful to put the worshiper before the offering, the man before the gift. Do you see that? For Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. By contrast, what was fundamentally right with Abel's offering was Abel. Abel's heart is what was fundamentally right with Abel's offering. Once again, the text puts the man before the offering. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The attempt to worship God is a failure from the get-go if the worshiper is unacceptable. Proper offerings are of no value in God's sight if your heart is wrong, if your character is wrong, if you are wrong. Cain's primary problem was not the stuff in his hands, but the junk in his heart. Get your heart right, and then get the offering right. Get your attitude straightened out and then make the proper sacrifice. Do you see? The New Testament confirms this lesson that the heart of the worshiper comes before the propriety of the offering. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous God commending him by accepting his gifts. The key phrase in Hebrews 11.4 and throughout Hebrews chapter 11 is by faith. As Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So here's the thing. Abel had true faith. But Cain didn't. Abel trusted God, but Cain didn't. Abel had a heart for God, but Cain didn't. Abel believed that the best rewards in the universe would come to him from the gracious hand of the Creator who had made the universe. But deep down, Cain didn't believe this. Abel had a disposition to hear God and then put what he heard into obedient practice. But Cain wanted to do things his own way. So don't miss the lesson. Abel was not accepted by God and commended by God merely because he got the outward act of worship correct. Outward acts of worship will never compensate for a heart that doesn't trust God. But if you do trust God, then you will demonstrate your faith through obedient action and acceptable worship. So, was Abel's offering 
more acceptable than Cain's sacrifice? Of course. Yes, it was. Hebrews 11.4 says so. There was something about Abel's sacrifice that was objectively better than Cain's offering, and it may well be that it was because he gave out of the first and the best of what he had. If you have a heart for God, you give your best to God. Or it may be that what was better about Abel's sacrifice is that it did involve blood sacrifice. When you trust God as He has revealed Himself throughout the Bible, you know and humbly embrace that the only way that you as a sinner can come into His holy presence is through the sacrifice of a spotless substitute. Only the death of God's firstborn Lamb can take away our sins. But don't miss the underlying lesson in Genesis 4 and Hebrews 11. The first rule of acceptable worship is to be an acceptable worshiper. An acceptable worshiper is someone who has genuine faith, who is trusting God, who is banking on God as His all-sufficient provider, who is humbly depending on the Lord as the sovereign Creator and gracious Redeemer. If you do not have this living faith, then God will reject you. So, as we move into verses 6 and 7, Cain is angry and downcast because God had no regard for him or his offering. And yet, notice, notice God's grace. The Lord doesn't immediately send Cain into exile. But in verses 6 and 7, the Lord reasons with Cain, appeals to him, invites him to repentance. The Lord said to Cain, verse 6, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. The Lord sees Cain. The Lord sees Cain's anger and countenance. The Lord knows that Cain's heart is amiss. The Lord sees you. Right here. Right now. And if your heart is amiss, He knows. But the Lord doesn't immediately shut the door and lock the deadbolt on Cain, but instead gives Cain the opportunity to repent. The Lord God Almighty invites Cain to do well. If you do well, will you not be accepted? The word translated accepted literally means exalted, dignified, lifted. If you do well, will you not be lifted up and honored in my presence? In this context, to do well or to do what is good and pleasing means to bring the proper offering from a heart that is trusting God. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't bring God the offering that makes sense to you and your fleshly mind. And don't ever think that God is impressed by outward acts of devotion or sacrifice when your heart is dull and cold. Gifts in your hand will never compensate for the gunk in your heart. If you would do well, then humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Tremble at His Word. Believe what He says. And then do what He says because you have become convinced that what He says is best. The Lord also warns Cain of what will happen if he doesn't do well. If you do not do well, 
Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. As I was reflecting on this passage in preparation for this sermon, I, I, I saw something here in verses 3 to 7 that I, ha- I don't recall ever seeing before. In verses 3 and 7, there are at least two sins in view. The first sin is the sin that has already tripped Cain up, the sin of verses 3 to 5. The first sin is the sin of failing to worship God with the right heart and in the right manner. That is the first sin, the foundational sin, the root sin. And when the Lord encourages Cain to do well, He is telling Cain to cut this sin at the source to uproot his faulty worship and become a true worshiper. But in verse 7, the Lord alerts Cain to a second sin. The sin that is crouching at the door. The sin crouching at the door like a roaring lion hasn't pounced on Cain yet. And the sin crouching at the door will not pounce on Cain if Cain does well and straightens out his heart and becomes a humble worshiper. But if Cain continues to go down the path of faulty worship and unbelief, then guess what? The menacing lion of a sin-dominated life is going to come roaring through that door and wreak havoc on Cain's life. So, how do you rule over the second sin? How do you rule over the sin that is crouching at the door? You rule over the second sin by addressing the first sin. You rule over the sin at the door by ruling over the sin that is already in your heart. You rule over tomorrow's sin by addressing today's sin. You rule over the temptation to go out in the field and kill your brother, verse 8, by worshiping God with all your heart at His holy altar, verse 4. Listen. The foundational weapon against every other sin in the universe is to have vibrant fellowship with the living God. To be stunned and stabilized and satisfied by the amazing good news that He invites you, a sinner, to come into His presence and worship Him by His grace and that when you come and worship Him by faith in His grace, He looks favorably upon you and justifies you and welcomes you as a beloved son or daughter. That and that alone is how you protect yourself from the sin that is crouching at the door. As the hymn says, there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. And if you are not near to the heart of God, you have zero chance of successfully managing the sin in your life or the sin that is crouching at the door. Abel discovered that quiet place near to the heart of God. The Lord invited Cain to discover it, but he refused. And as Cain stubbornly sank deeper and deeper into his own unbelief and idolatry, he traveled farther and farther from the heart of God. And when the lion at the door pounced, as it is about to, Cain had no recourse. The second sin 
captured Cain because he never escaped the clutch of the first one. When the sin that is crouching at the door successfully pounces on you, it is proof positive that your worship is dysfunctional. As Milton Vincent said, eyes do not rove, nor do fleshly lusts rule when the heart is fat with the love of Jesus. Now, let's go to verses 8 to 16, where Cain's broken relationship with God wreaks havoc on the totality of his life. What happens when the second sin pounces on you? Verses 8 to 16 is what happens. When you fail to approach God on His terms, when you refuse to draw near to God in His appointed way, what results is an avalanche of destruction. As we come out of verses 5 to 7 and into verse 8, we find that Cain remains in the condition of being rejected by God. It is obvious that Cain did not heed God's gracious appeal to him in verses 6 and 7. And so Cain's continued and well-deserved rejection by God has the effect of wreaking wreaking havoc on the totality of his life. This is Cain's story. This is the story of the ancient world leading up to the days of the flood. This is the story of your modern world which is overrun with sin and folly. If you want to know why the world is in such a mess, why the political world is in such a mess, why the religious and cultural world is in such a mess, why two-thirds of the visible church is in such a mess, take a close look at what happens from verse 3 all the way down to verse 16. When you get the fundamental issue in life wrong, when your relationship with God is out of order, when, you, when your attempt to worship is not making it past the ceiling, when you don't have God's favor, when all you have is God's displeasure, then look out, folks, because when the worshiper is faulty and the worship is faulty, your entire life is going to be a train wreck. Faulty worship perpetuates your broken fellowship with God, verses 3 to 5, which leads to anger and angst, verse 5, which leads to hatred and murder, verse 8, which leads to increasing levels of dishonesty and failure to take responsibility, verse 9, which leads to God's increasing displeasure, verses 10 to 12, which leads to ordinary life not working well, verse 12, and you end up being a self-pitying, homeless, fearful wanderer on the earth who is far away from the gracious presence and smile of God, verses 13 to 16. And that's the world we live in where almost everyone is attempting to do life far away from the favor of God. The relationship, relationships and the politics and the ethics and the insanity of the world will never get fixed until sinners get reconciled to God through faith in God's grace and become true worshipers whose worship is a sweet aroma in the courts of heaven. There will not be renewal in life unless there is first of all a renewal in worship. But when the heart is renewed and you discover the satisfaction of trusting God and being graciously accepted by Him, then what happens? Anger turns to peace. Angst turns to joy. Hatred turns to love. Lying turns to truth-telling. And life starts to work 
to work the way that God intended it to work. Now perhaps there is someone here this morning and you know deep down that life is not working very well for you. And I'm not talking about trials and persecutions and challenges which everyone, including faithful believers, will face. When I say that life isn't working well, what I mean is that you know that everyday relationships and ordinary responsibilities and personal decision-making, it's not going well for you. And you know that it's not going well for you because you don't have God's favor upon your life. And what you do have, and what you have a lot of, is Cain-like anger, angst, hatred, self-pity, and fear. You feel homeless, and the reason that you feel homeless is because you are homeless, spiritually speaking. You have a worship problem. Your heart is not truly seeking after God by faith. Your worship is not flowing out of a heart that trusts God. You're just cranking out some afterthoughts and offerings and leftovers to God. But God doesn't regard you or your offering. And that is the problem. Your problem is not with people. Your problem is not with circumstances. Your problem is not with your environment. Your problem was with God. His wrath abides on your unbelieving heart, John 3.36. You don't have His Holy Spirit renewing you from the inside, and therefore your life is a wilderness that doesn't work. Remember, faulty worship perpetuates your broken fellowship with God, verses 3 to 5, which leads to anger and angst, verse 5, which leads to hatred and murder, verse 8. Cain failed to love his brother because Cain was not properly related to God. It says in 1 John 3.12, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain had been taken captive by the deceitful serpent that we met in Genesis chapter 3. And his spiritual bondage to the evil one filled him with envy and rage toward his goody-two-shoes brother. When your vertical relationship with God is out of order, your horizontal relationships will also be out of order. Cain's expanding shipwreck in verse 8 then leads to increasing levels of dishonesty and failure to take responsibility. In verse 9, the Lord asks Cain, where is Abel your brother? Cain refuses to come clean but digs in his heels. He lies. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? As, a, as Cain adds more layers of muck upon his already disordered heart, he only succeeds at incurring God's increasing displeasure. The Lord knows exactly what Cain has done and tells him so, verse 10, tells Cain that henceforth you are cursed from the ground, verse 11, and that the ground shall no longer yield to you its strength, verse 12. Going forward, Cain shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, verse 12. The withdrawal of God's favor and the imposition of penalties leads to ordinary life not working well. Instead of being a productive gardener, now Cain will be a frustrated wanderer. Instead of lamenting his own sin and turning away from it, all Cain can muster is the self-pitying complaint that life is going to be hard. 
My punishment or my guilt is greater than I can bear. Listen, folks, human beings were not created to bear punishment. You were not created to bear punishment. You were created to bear the image of God with integrity, grace, and joy. You were created to live a life of love in the light of the Father's smile. But when you forsake this high calling, you will bear sin's consequences instead. Whether or not it is greater than you can bear, be assured that it is well deserved. And the fire of hell will only be worse. So Adam and Eve's firstborn son has managed to turn himself into a self-pitying, homeless, fearful wanderer on the earth who is far, far away from the gracious presence of God. The homeless wandering is evident in verses 12, 14, and 16. The fearfulness is evident in verse 14. Whoever finds me will kill me. How many other siblings he had or nieces and nephews at this point? I don't know. But the real issue is, the real issue is, Cain is a fearful man now. He's afraid. He's not at peace. The Lord vows to defend Cain's life and establishes some kind of mark or sign in order to protect him from potential attackers. In verse 15, even in the midst of judging, the Lord gives Cain a small token of grace. But that small token of grace will do Cain no good unless he repents, which as far as we know, he never does. The tragic reality is that Cain will now have to live away from the Lord's face, verse 14, and away from the presence of the Lord, verse 16. At the end of Genesis chapter 3, Adam had been driven out of the garden, remember? But he still lived in Eden, just not in the Garden of Eden. Now in Genesis 4:16, Cain left Eden altogether and settled in the land of Nod. Nod means wandering. It's kind of ironic. He settled in the land of wandering. He settled in the land of unsettling. Cain goes where every unrepentant sinner must go, into exile. And the only way back is the one who bore our punishment in our place. Final Final question to you. Are you in exile? Or has God's grace found you? By faith, are you drawing near to God and taking refuge in Him? Or are you turning away and hardening your heart? If God is pushing your heart this morning, you need to take heed. It says in Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Cain heard God's voice in Genesis 4, 6, and 7, but he hardened his heart. Do not follow the way of Cain. The way of Cain is to think that God should accept whatever gift you happen to bring him and in whatever manner you happen to bring it. And then you get mad when that doesn't work out very well. The way of faith is not even to be impressed by the gift that you give but instead to believe with all your heart that God rewards those who seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 Although you learn as a disciple to give God your very best, you really don't live on the basis of what you give to God. 
You live on the basis of what God promises to give you. And the heart of faith knows that nothing in all the world is better than having the Lord gaze upon you with his fatherly smile. Let's pray. Father, I pray that every man, woman, and child in this sanctuary would either have already or soon discover that there's nothing better than being like Abel, who had God's favor upon him. And though he was slain, he will live forever in your presence and have your reward. Father, if there's anyone in the sanctuary whose heart is way out of order, they know that their worship is a sham and they know that the sin crouching at the door has already pounced on them. Father, I pray that you would grant them repentance. I pray that they would fix their eyes on Jesus who laid down his life for sinners and that they would turn to you in faith even this very moment. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.